friends, you have now entered the Man Cave Podcast with Dan Casper, a podcast where we talk mostly about sports, but sometimes we mix in some other fun topics and conversations. So sit back and join us on this episode of the Man Cave Podcast with Dan Casper. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by our awesome friends from Toyson Ford and Hy-V. I'm your host, Dan Casper. As always, appreciate you tuning in and checking out this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. On this episode, we're going to talk a little uh, little green and gold. What did Romeo Dobbs say about his new quarterback number one, Jordan Love? We'll tell you uh, coming up a little bit later on, plus a little Matt LaFleur talk Uh Kind of want to get something off my chest, a little soapbox there. But to lead things off, we're going to talk a little Milwaukee Brewers. Let's take a look at a quick recap of what happened this past weekend here for the crew. Going back to Friday night's game for the uh, for the Brew Crew, it was a 5-4 to four victory that went in extra innings there for the crew. So Brewers jumped out to an early lead. Um, but uh, lost it there even with, with Corbin Burns. Uh, excuse me, I should say Cincinnati uh, jumped out to an early lead, 2 nothing. but Brewers clawing back. No. Yeah. What am I doing, Dan? Stop it. Stop it, Dan. Get it together. Brewers dropped out, dropped out, uh, jumped out. Excuse me. Man, it was a long weekend. I apologize. Brewers jumped out to an early lead thanks to Joey Weimer. Joey Weimer's home run ball going back to Cincinnati. That's where he played college ball. University of Cincinnati jumped out to a uh, home run, two-run shot. But it didn't last long because Cincinnati did put up two in the bottom of the third there. And uh, Milwaukee scratching, clawing their way back, put up a run in the fourth. But uh, uh, Milwaukee had to go to extra innings. They put up two in the 11th there and to secure that victory and get game one of their series. So wasn't easy, but they got it done. And I think as soon as like the the Brewers, I don't know, like there was part of me where I was a little bit worried. I don't know if anybody else was like this, but it's like, oh boy. So they jump out to an early lead. They do what we were talking about on last Friday. Jump out to that early lead, get it done. You know, give your give your uh give your starters a little bit of breathing room or an early lead. Don't dig yourselves into a hole. Joey Weimer. Gets that shot in front of his, uh, you know, in front of his, I guess, you call it hometown, not really his hometown crowd, but, you know, his college hometown crowd there. But Brewers kind of squandering it away. You know, they, they put up those two, and then Cincinnati puts up three to take the take the lead. And they get a run, then a couple more in the bottom of third. Brewers tie it up in the four, so they, they claw back, they fight back. And then they go all the way to the 11th, put up two. And thankfully, the the Reds only put up one there in 11th. And the Brewers picked up that W on Friday. But then it kind of maybe set some things in motion. Maybe that was kind of a grinded-out game like that. I know it was only two more games after that, so I don't want to overanalyze or, or anything like that. But, you know, maybe winning a game like that where, yeah, you jump out to a lead, but then you lose it after a couple innings just to kind of claw back and, and I don't want to make dramatize it too much. They're only down by a run and such. But you know, sometimes this at, at certain points this season for the Brewers, it seems like down one has been a, 
a huge mountain to to climb for this Brewers team to to get that victory, but they're able to do it. And maybe that kind of set off a little bit of confidence for the crew. Maybe just maybe I don't know. But then you go to Saturday. They got the ten eight victory, but they jumped out to this huge, huge lead right away. I mean, it was you know they had nine runs through the third, through three innings, through three innings it was nine to three, and then they tacked on another run in the fourth to make it ten. And you're thinking, no way, this is this is in the bag for the Brew Crew. They got it done, all good. The Reds just kind of hang around. They put up three in the six to make it ten to ten to six. And then the bottom of the ninth, they put up a couple more. Then Devin Williams has to come in and and make sure that the Brew Crew can secure that W. I want to get to Devin Williams here in, in a second. So they, you know, get out to a big lead, including a grand slam. Mister Perkins with his career first career home run, which happens to be a grand slam. Shout out to to him. You know, we opener. We're talking about guys stepping up. You know, reserves and and guys making debuts or role role players. You know, kind of stepping up into into big moments this past weekend for the crew, Perkins being one of them. But uh, so they get the victory on on Saturday, ten eight. Even though it looked a little scary there heading into that final inning, and then yesterday, Brewers getting a five to one victory. Adrian Hauser bouncing back nicely. Early parts of the game, you saw a lot of ground balls. That's what Adrian Hauser does. He's a ground ball pitcher. And you look at uh, the job that he did yesterday, going a, a total of uh, seven innings, giving up six hits, just one earned run, no walks. You know, before he had that poo-poo of a game, if you want to call it the, his prior start after we were singing his praises about you know not giving up a lot of walks. He's only averaging... Uh, one walk per game, and then that Toronto game where he went only a four, little over four innings, giving up eleven total hits, and walked three and had six earned runs. This was a heck of a bounce back game for Adrian Hauser yesterday, going seven strong innings, picking up his second win of the season, and only issuing six hits, one earned run, no walks, and a couple strikeouts. But he's a ground ball pitcher. You're not going to see a lot of those strikeout numbers there, but. He had his stuff yesterday to help the Brewers secure a series victory over the Cincinnati Reds. They'll try to complete the four-game sweep coming up tonight with uh, a guy that he's going to be making his third third start for the Brew Crew this year. Julio Tehran. Remember Julio Tehran? We were talking about that signing when he made his first start. Oh, when was that? That would be back on the 25th of May against the Giants, a deal that was made uh, official like a couple hours before his start. He was a two-time All-Star for, for Atlanta almost you know, 10 years. 2014 was his first All-Star year. But, you know, last couple years hasn't been at an All-Star level by any means. Padres had signed him and, you know, minor league system, but it wasn't working out. And you're kind of thinking, okay, this is the typical Brewer signing of low risk, potentially maybe high reward here. We'll see what kind of stuff he has left. I don't think there was a whole lot of expectations coming in here, but you got to give Julio Tehran a lot of credit because in the two games that he has pitched for the crew, he's put together two 
quality starts. He got charged for the loss against the Giants, but didn't pitch like a losing pitcher. That's when he went five innings and gave up just one earned run, five strikeouts on four hits, got charged with the loss. Then Toronto, he goes six innings, four hits, no earned runs, no walks, no strikeouts, but he picked up the W. So in just two games so far this year, 1-1.82 one one, ERA in 11 total innings pitched. Does he still have some more left? Hopefully for, for the rest of the season. Hopefully he can continue to kind of be a nice little surprise, maybe a nice little bargain signing there and, and be a player for this team, give you some quality starts, especially with the starting pitching staff still banged up, although it sounds like Wayne Miley is progressing ahead of schedule here. Hopefully that's the case. But the way Julio Tehran has played in his first two games, you got to keep him in that starting rotation, don't you? Hopefully he can just kind of continue to, to pitch at this level throughout uh, throughout the rest of the season here. But he's going to get another shot, his third start tonight. And he's going to be going up against, his Brewers lineup is going to be going up against uh, Andrew Abbott, who is the sixth uh, prospect in the Reds system. So Reds calling him up. He's going to get the start today, going up against the Brew Crew. It's their sixth prospect up there. So, as you as you know, there's no experience with this pitching staff or this uh, excuse me with this hitting lineup for the Brewers going up against Andrew Abbott. So he's going to be making his starts against the Brewers and trying to help his team being avoid or trying to help his team from uh, getting a four game sweep at the hand of the Brewers. So you you look at these lineups, just not a ton. So is it going to be Abbott who gets the advantage with the Brewers not knowing him, making his first career start, or the veteran Julio Turan who's off to a good start and hopefully resurrecting his career here a little bit. Now Abbott is a left-handed pitcher, which, weird, right, Brewers? That's going to be a narrative. Even if they have a couple of good outings against left-handed pitching, left-handed starters, it's going to be a narrative for them until they can consistently go up against those left-handed pitchers and put up some decent numbers and such. But if you look at Andrew Abbott so far this year in, in the minors, I uh, started with a little double-A, then uh, one game in double-A, three games total in, in triple-A so far this year. But uh, he's 4-0 and with a 2.50 ERA in 10 games, uh, 10 games pitched uh, so far in the minors this year. Uh, 54 total innings. He has given up eight home runs so far this year in the minors, so maybe something the Brewers can, I don't know, kind of take a little bit of advantage of, but uh, he's holding teams in the minors to just a 171 batting average uh, against him, so that's what's uh, on the docket here for tonight. I wanted to throw out a question, though. I saw somebody had and it's just not just one person, but do you think Devin Williams is right now the best player on this Brewers team? Do you think it's, it's if you had to, because I know they're doing the all-star voting, and I know some people are kind of joking about like, oh, wow, who's, you know, pick a player from the Brewers team who's who's going to be that all-star? Is there any all-star caliber players here? And is Is it Devin Williams? Is Devin Williams right now the best player on this Brewers team? He's 3-0, .46 ERA, 10 saves, perfect saves. 
He's appeared in 19 games so far this year. 26 strikeouts. But is Devin Williams right now, would you say, would you classify him as the best player on this Brewers team right now? He's been put in some tough situations, right? Asked to, you know, pick up some saves, a couple of like four out saves. He's been asked to do that, been put in some tough situations with runners in scoring position, even maybe the tying run or the go-ahead run. But do you think it's accurate? Do you think it's fair to say that Devin Williams going into this year, you know, he's he's the man, he's the closer, not the setup guy anymore for Josh Hader. Is it fair that to say that he is the best Brewers pitcher right now? Who else would be in that running for the crew? You know, Willie Adamas sounds like he's going to be coming back here soon, but you look at his season, was, is would he be that? Is it Christian Yelich who's leading the team in a lot of statistical categories right now? And if you're kind of breaking it down, you go to you know team leaders. He's leader in batting average, stolen bases, runs, but maybe still not putting up the numbers that should be expected from a guy who's got the huge contract like Christian Yelich does. So I think if you want to go out and say that Devin Williams right now is the best player on this team for this Brewers team, I think you got a case to be made. I'm not going to argue with that too much. You know, speaking of Christian Yelich, guy has been really consistent in his last 100 bats, a little over 100 bats. In his last... 106 at bats, he's hitting 274 with an on base of a 374 and a slugging of a 425. Now, if we look at just his 106 at bats so far, the numbers he's putting up are fairly close to what his career averages are. His his average is a about 11 points still under his career average. He's a career 285 hitter. But you look at his last 100-plus at-bats, 274. His on-base percentage is practically the same. On-base, career 375. And his last 100-plus, 374. In fact, if you want to narrow it down a little bit more, his on-base percentage is over 400. So is this version of Christian Yelich. Now, if you look at, okay, some other numbers in his last 106, okay, four home runs, 14 RBIs. He's taken 15 walks. He's also struck out 18 times, and he has stolen nine bases. Are you good with this version of Christian Yelich? Didn't get a hit yesterday, but got a walk, but he, he got, got a walk, another stolen base. Back on the second, he collected a couple of hits, scored a couple runs. Third, June 3rd, uh, on a Saturday there. Collected another hit in the RBI, another walk, another stolen base. Are you good with this version of Christian Yelich, or do you still think, nope, this has got to be a guy that, even though he only did it for a couple of years, and that's where he earned his money, that's where he earned that contract, but even though he only did it a couple of years where he went you know, 36 home runs and 44 home runs that 2018 and 2019 season, that's still what you expect from Yelich. You know, he only did it twice. 
So in 2019, he had those 44 home runs. 2018, he had 36 home runs. His next highest home run count is 2016 with the Marlins when he had 21. But that year, he also hit 298. So, are you are you good with this version of Christian Yelich right now that we're, we're seeing? If we're kind of looking at maybe, you know, his last hundred at bats. Uh, by the way, his slugging percentage is at about uh, four. If we're just looking at his one his last hundred uh, plus at bats, four twenty five. Career wise, if you're kind of comparing it, it's a little bit about uh, about. Under 40 points shy of his career average, he's uh, 463. Now, so far, if we do the whole season, he's had you know 205 at bats. So some of these numbers are down, like his total batting average is 254. But I'm looking at just his 100 at bats, his last 106 at bats. And if this is the version of Christian Yelich that we are going to get, are you okay with that? Are you satisfied with that? Or are you still looking at those two? MVP year numbers that he put up 38 what was it 38 or 36 and 44 and that's still what you expect from Christian Yelich 36 and 44 home runs and maybe that was just you know I know for the last couple of years a lot of people have been saying it's like hey you know not necessarily want Christian Yelich to put up those numbers but doing what he was doing when he was with the Marlins Okay, so what was he doing with the Marlins? Let's take 2014. Second year in the bigs. 144 games. Batting average of 284. Nine home runs. 2015. 126 games. Batting average 300. Seven home runs. We mentioned 2016 is his third highest home run season total. 21. 298 batting average, 155 games. His last season in uh, Miami, 2017, 156 games, 18 dingers, 282. I mean, I think we would all love a 280-plus hitter right now. And right now, if you're looking at his 100 at-bats, he's 274. And I think we're focusing so much on on the power numbers when it comes to Christian Yelich that it's like, yeah. For some, it's like, no. He's gonna he got paid for hitting dingers. He ain't hitting dingers right now. I get it. I, I think that's a legit argument. But if this is the version that we're gonna have, are you satisfied with it? Are you okay with it? Or do you still hold that ceiling a little bit higher for for Christian Yelich? Have you started planning your summer vacations yet? Making that checklist of things you need to do before that vacation? Now let me ask you the next question. Are you confident your vehicle can handle that road trip that you're planning? If you hesitated, the answer is no. So here's what you do. Just visit Toys and Ford and check out their new and used inventory to upgrade that vehicle of yours. Or you can schedule an appointment with their service center to get your vehicle ready for that road trip. Make your vacations this summer more memorable with the help from Toys and Ford. 
Summer is a busy time. Holidays, vacations, get-togethers, which also means you're going to need a lot of food. So you need a go-to place you can trust that has the widest selection of products with the best prices and the best fuel saver program in the Chippewa Valley. That's Hy-Vee in Eau Claire. From their meat department, deli, bakery, and more, Hy-Vee has you covered for all those get-togethers and vacations for this summer. Plus, save more money for your vacations with their epic fuel savers program. Make it a memorable and epic summer with the help from Hy-Vee. All right, let's uh, let's talk a little football to change it up here a little bit. Romeo Dobbs, second year wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. There was a lot of chitter chat on the uh, on the socials on Twitter and that about who the connection it looks like that's developing between Romeo and Jordan Love. And I'm just like, do we not remember last year that that seemed to be like the number one connection? Aaron Rodgers wasn't playing in the preseason. You know, and, and Christian Watson was banged up. So it was a lot of Jordan Love and Romeo Dobbs in the preseason. So I don't think it's necessarily breaking news or a big nugget out there that everybody's kind of running with, it seems like, on the socials. That's like, ooh, Romeo Dobbs and Jordan Love. Watch out for that connection this year. We saw it last year because they had to play together a lot. So they developed that instant connection right away. Now, if you want to do a bold prediction, I'm going to get to some bold predictions here from uh, from Sports Illustrated, a couple of them highlighting the uh, the uh, uh, the Packers and such. But uh, you know, if you want to make a bold prediction, saying Romeo Dobbs is going to be the team leading and team leader in, in receiving yards and such, I might buy that. I might buy that. But uh, what does Romeo Dobbs have to say about his new quarterback? I think Jordan can do it. Uh, I think Jordan is a really good quarterback. When you go from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan, Aaron was a really great quarterback. But I believe Jordan can do the same exact things. So I don't really see what's the big difference. Now I know a lot of people, whether they're Packers fans or outside Packers Nation, are going to scrutinize what what Romeo Dobbs had to say about Jordan Love. And I get it. And I understand it. Why, you know, they're going to kind of look at some of those comments and be like, dude, don't. One is like, I, I can see some people already saying, whoa, is he just kind of downplaying how good Aaron Rodgers is? Is he really, you know, trying to boost Jordan Love already, comparing him to a Hall of Famer and, and one of the greatest of all times? I think it's simply Romeo Dobbs going out there and displaying the confidence and telling everybody in the world that's willing to listen how much confidence he has in his new quarterback. You know, as we were saying, those two worked a lot together last year they worked together a lot Aaron missing some uh, offseason stuff preseason it was pretty much those two because Lazard wasn't playing in the preseason Watson was banged up and missed the first couple games so I mean Love and and Romeo oh man that's already the headliners are going to love that marketing campaign with Love and Romeo Um, you know it's they already got that connection and, and it's not surprising to hear Romeo, you know, going out there and singing the praises of, of Jordan Love. Guys, guys back. Christian Watson the other day, too, saying he's got 100% confidence in, in Jordan Love. We truth is, we don't know how good of a player Jordan Love is going to be. Nobody knows. I've been saying it, I think, for the last few days now. We can make our predictions. We can have our own analysis on it. We can, you know banter and debate about it at the bar pull up a bar stool and, and talk about it reality is we don't know what kind of quarterback he's going to be Romeo doesn't know what kind of quarterback he's going to be 
He may think he knows, or he may you know, have the confidence in the world that he can be a great quarterback, but the truth is we don't know. And we don't know what kind of receiver Romeo is going to end up developing throughout uh, his career. But he's going out there and having the back of, of Jordan Love. And you know, I was kind of thinking about this over the weekend too, where I think it's an advantage for Jordan Love and maybe in part for Green Bay, and maybe this is the glass-half-full approach or beer goggle, rose-colored glasses approach Rose-colored glasses approach for me. But I like the fact that Jordan Love is coming into the season and a lot of people are just assuming he's going to be not good. Not going to be good. He's not coming in with the fanfare that a lot of, like, even rookie quarterbacks come in with. You know, like their first year or second years or whatever. Like, okay, this new quarterback's coming in. There's excitement in the building. There's maybe some high expectations, that sort of thing. Jordan Love's coming in after sitting for a couple years and replacing a Hall of Famer, and there is like majority, no, dude ain't going to do it. He ain't going to do it. I kind of like that. I like the fact that that's out there. Whether it's you know Jordan Love uses that as as a chip on his shoulder or whatever, but I think it helps alleviate some of that pressure. There's pressure, no doubt, by going in and replacing an Aaron Rodgers. But there's this like I don't want to speak for everybody, but I feel like there's this majority from from a fan base the assumption that. Okay, he's not going to be good. He's not going to be as good as Aaron Rodgers. We're going to have a down year. They're not putting all that on his shoulders right away. Like, they're just like, it's almost like they're not expecting him to pick up where where Aaron left off, really. You know what I mean? Like, I I like that fact. Now, I don't know if he pays attention to that. He probably doesn't. Well, maybe he's, he's human. Maybe he does a little bit there. But why not? Why not come in with lower expectations? Not only does that... Not not from the team itself, but like from a fan base and media expectations and all that. Because from the last few years, it was Green Bay. You know, they're going to win the division. They've got Super Bowl aspirations. A lot of it was because Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback. And then you have these other team, other players on the team that have to step up and fill in that role. But now it's a little bit more relaxed or maybe it's a little bit more harsh on Green Bay. So from a team overall, I like the fact that nobody is giving them any love. I should say nobody, some are. And we're going to get to that here in a bold prediction from Sports Illustrated. But coming in with not very high expectations, maybe that's a benefit for for this team. Kind of flying under the radar here a little bit. Again, that might just be rose-colored glasses for myself. But I'd kind of rather have that expectation with a new quarterback coming in instead of having, you know, Super Bowl goals and Super Bowl aspirations right away for somebody coming in here. Maybe, maybe, just maybe it hopefully alleviates some of that pressure. And maybe for some of these players, they'll use that as motivation too, where, you know, nobody's giving them a realistic shot at doing anything this year. And they, they kind of use that as, as motivation. But, uh, one, one NFL writer out there isn't really buying the whole, Packers going into a down year. That's uh, that's Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated. So he's got 100 predictions for 2023. 
And number four on his list is the Packers will win 10 games. Double-digit wins. He writes, this isn't an Aaron Rodgers take. This is a Matt LaFleur, Jordan Love, and Brian Gutekunst take. I think it's very possible that in the weak need NFC North, and then an ad just popped up right there, so I guess we'll write down, we'll have a pair of teams with double-digit wins. In this case, the Packers and the Lions. One reason, the Packers' schedule is not a gauntlet by any stretch of the imagination. Green Bay is 24th in opponents' strength of schedule and plays only one team coming off of a bye, meaning the Packers, their opponent, that opponent comes off of a bye when they face Green Bay. That's only once this year. Uh, the Packers have three short weeks, three short weeks, which is a lot, but is less punishing when your quarterback is under the age of 25. Now, I one of the, the most one of the stats that I hate or analytic numbers that that I don't buy into, like some people do, is that whole strength of schedule. I don't like that one. I don't think that's a very good metric. Because you're basing it off of teams from the previous year, your, your strength of schedule. You're, you're basing it off of that. These teams have undergone, a lot of them have undergone a lot of change. I mean, you know, you're, you're just, there's, so there's so many factors into it where you're basing this number off of a different team, different teams. Now, some of those teams that were maybe poor, the year prior, they factor into this, but they it's pretty obvious that they're, hey, a whole lot better this year, and vice versa. So I, I'm not a big proponent of strength of schedule. I'm just not. Um, because I look at, okay, okay, like, let's, for example, you know, one of these might be the Saints, okay? The Saints last year, compared to this year. Would you say right now that the Saints are a better team this year than compared to last year? I think they would. And Green Bay plays them this year. But they're factoring in records and such from last year. But they bring in Derek Carr. They're assuming Michael Thomas is going to be healthier this year. I feel like the Saints are going to be a little bit of a better team this year. Broncos. Last year, awful. Russell Wilson, awful. But you know what they did? They brought in Sean Payton. I think everybody's expecting the Broncos to be better because of Sean Payton. So, I mean, there's other... You you look at some of the other opponents. Okay, Buccaneers. They don't have Tom Brady this year. It might be easier for the Packers this year to to be realistic in this whole thing. So, that's where I'm not big on the whole strength of schedule, analytic, statistic, whatever you want to call it. But I think what's interesting in his thing is, uh, you know, his first two lines. This isn't an Aaron Rodgers take. This is a Matt LaFleur, Jordan Love, and Brian Gutekunst take. What does he mean by that? He's not saying that the Packers are going to win more because they don't have Aaron Rodgers anymore. It's he's sounds like Connor's got a little bit of faith in Matt LaFleur, a little bit of faith in Jordan Love, and a little bit of faith in Brian Gutekunst. I don't think anybody's necessarily arguing, too, that the NFC, not only just the NFC North, but the entire NFC compared to the AFC is probably not that deep. You know, I think everybody's probably top two teams in the NFC 
if you were to do some predictions now in the beginning part of June, is going to be the Eagles and going to be the 49ers. Those are probably the two top teams that come to mind. Yet, when you look at the 49ers, <laughs> you know, it's, they got a quarterback controversy, battle, whatever the heck you want to call it. Is Brock Purdy going to be ready for the season opener? Is Brock Purdy going to be a legit starting quarterback in this in this league? Is Trey Lance going to be there at all? They're talking Sam Darnold's going to be the starting quarterback. And, you know, at least he's playing under uh, Kyle Shanahan and not Adam Gase and, and Matt Rule and such. So it's a benefit for Sam Darnold there. But, you know, they got their own issues too. Great, great defense. Really good offensive skill players. But they got a quarterback question. Philly, on paper right now, looks to be the favorites. You know, Dallas is probably going to be in that conversation for a playoff spot. A lot of love surrounding Detroit, and I get it, and rightfully so. But are they a Super Bowl caliber team? I don't, maybe outside of some Detroit fans. Not a lot of people probably picking Detroit to go to the Super Bowl. But I think we would all, I think it's fair to say that the NFC is not as deep as the AFC this year. Just run down the, the teams that are like Super Bowl caliber teams in the AFC Kansas City, Buffalo, who just signed another edge rusher, Leonard Floyd, this morning. The Jets, um, the Bengals, the Chargers. Maybe some still want to throw Denver in there because they've got confidence in Russell Wilson having a bounce back year and not paired up with, with Sean Payton. The Dolphins. You know, can Tua stay healthy? If Tua stays healthy and was playing like he was at the beginning part of the, the season last year, Dolphins are going to be a factor. And I think one of the best moves in the entire offseason that was made was when the Dolphins brought in Vic Fangio's defensive coordinator. Now they got Xavier Howard and, and Jalen Ramsey playing corner. This AFC East division, I think, is going to be kind of what we wanted to see the AFC West from last year. But Denver really did not play up to expectations. The Raiders didn't play up to expectations. AFC East this year... It's a three-team race. The Patriots, nobody really giving them any shot. But, you know, it's you go through those teams in the AFC, the top teams in the AFC, it's like, yeah, AFC's like fourth, fifth best team is probably, you know, the second best in the NFC. Could probably may make that case. You know, I'm I'm if I depending on where you put Philly or, or the 49ers or something like that. But that's an advantage for, for Green Bay in a, in a little bit of an essence. But 10 wins. I don't want to make any game prediction wins at, at this point. It's still June. It's just the beginning of June here. But there's there's one writer who's or NFL analyst out there who thinks, eh, Green Bay might be a little bit better than what people are expecting. But I think he's... When he mentions Matt LaFleur and that, this is a big year for Matt LaFleur. And it's a heck of an opportunity. I think if you're Matt LaFleur, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, and, and you know, Matt LaFleur said it, you know, after the trade with Aaron and such. Aaron helped, you know, helped a lot of guys on that coaching staff. Had a big hand in, you know, getting a lot of wins for Matt LaFleur in his first couple of years in the league. Having a lot of success the first couple of years in the league. But I think if you're Matt LaFleur, Heading into this year with a new quarterback, with a young quarterback. There's also has to be this 
excitement level that you're like, all right, I now have an opportunity to put my full-on 100% mark on this offense. Yeah, it makes things a lot easier to call an offense when you've got a quarterback of the caliber of Aaron Rodgers. It does. Let's not kid ourselves. It makes things a little bit easier. But now as a competitor, now the head coach and play caller, you've got more responsibility and you've got a chance to really showcase who you are as a head coach and who you are as an offensive play caller. You know, it was one of those... Uh, Rankings. I don't. I couldn't even tell you what it was, but I saw it. It might have been on like one of the social media. I know it was on one of the social media uh, things out there. But it was one of those where they ranked the NFL head coaches. And and again, I couldn't tell you who where it came from. I wish I. I wish I would have saved it, but I can tell you, number seventeen, whoever this was, was Matt Lafleur. Then Matt LaFleur at number 17. And, I mean, you're talking like 16 is the halfway mark. There's 32 teams. So Matt LaFleur is the 17th best head coach in the league, according to whatever website this this was. I can't, was it the, uh, maybe it was the 33rd team. I think it was that website. Does that sound right? Yeah, it was the, uh, let me bring it up here. The 33rd team. This was actually Ross Tucker's. Ross Tucker's full head coaching power rankings. Matt LaFleur at 17. The coaches that he has higher than Matt LaFleur are Dan Campbell, who has yet to make the playoffs. O'Connell from Minnesota, heading into his second year. Success in his first year. Missy uh, didn't win a playoff game. McDaniel, Miami, heading into his second year. Uh, Doug Peterson's already a top 10 coach. I'm sure that's probably factoring in some, uh, you know, some time with, with Philly over there. But I mean, is, is Matt LaFleur really the 17th best head coach right now? If you had to rank him, I mean, number one's Andy Reid. Uh, yeah. Bill Belichick two, Mike Tomlin three, Sean Payton four, Nick Sirianni with Philly five, Kyle Shanahan six. Sean McVay, 7. Brian Dable, 8. Pete Carroll, 9. Doug Peterson, 10. Harbaugh, 11. Taylor, 12. Rabel, 13th. McDaniel, 14th. O'Connell, 15th. Campbell, 16th. Then Matt LaFleur. I mean, even Sean McDermott's at 22. I just... Man. I don't know about that. Don't know if I agree with all that. But this is a heck of an opportunity for Matt LaFleur to really, this year, showcase what type of coach, what type of play caller he can be in this league. As a competitor, I think you have to embrace that. And you gotta, you got to like that a little bit. Yeah, you, you know, there's going to be some ups and downs with a, with a new quarterback and an inexperienced and young quarterback. But as a competitor, like I'm assuming Matt LaFleur is, as you have to be in his position, you kind of have to embrace this challenge too. And maybe... Be excited about this challenge. I think that's what you got to do in this position. Embrace this challenge. Feed off of it. Because this is a hell of an opportunity. You know, as, as a coach, yeah, you still got a competitive streak. Or as a, as a play caller, you still, you're still competitive in a lot of instances. 
But now when you've got more on your shoulders and where you can really put together what you want to put together, I think this has got to burn that fire, burn that competitive fire inside you. That's where I'm excited to see what Matt LaFleur can can really do with his offense this year. I have no idea what it's going to look like. Nobody knows what it's going to look like. Nobody knows if it's going to work. Again, you can speculate, you can banter about it, but I'm excited to see it. And questions or answers will be or questions will be answered. Maybe not fully, but I think a lot of them will be answered about what type of play caller Matt LaFleur can really be in this league. Put up some great numbers. He's racked up a lot of wins. But a lot of naysayers and a lot of doubters out there still on, on Matt LaFleur will say most of that, the majority of those wins, all came from number 12. It's easy to win when you have number 12. Matt LaFleur can shut up a lot of those people this year and the next couple of years. He can do that. And I think as a, as, as a play caller, and as that head coach, embrace that opportunity. I got. I, I would just feel like, all right, I got. I got to. You know, I don't know. As a, as a competitor, I think I would. I would love that. Makes the job harder. But you got some more responsibility, and you got a chance to really make your mark on this team. Well, that's going to do it for us on this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. As always, appreciate you tuning in, and uh, don't forget to check out previous or upcoming episodes of the man cave podcast by following and subscribing to the podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms until next time i'm dan casper i'll talk to you guys again soon that's going to do it for this episode of the man cave podcast big thanks for tuning in to this episode of the man cave podcast a couple of quick reminders for you don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Man Cave Podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can leave us a voice message, whether it's a comment, analysis, or a question for a question and answer segment. Just get that link in the podcast description. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast if you haven't done so already. This helps other people find the Man Cave Podcast. And be a friend and tell a friend about the Man Cave Podcast. Until the next episode, I'm Dan Casper, and thank you for listening to the Man Cave Podcast.